Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. There's a lot going on. Um, for those that don't know, I run a, a news agency, and not just a website. We, we run a whole agency. It was founded on this verse, Watch Ye Therefore. It's about equipping watchmen. Whether you realize it or not, Ezekiel calls us all to be watchmen. If we don't sound the shofar, don't warn that the Lord is coming back soon. It says the blood is required at our hands. So it's a very high calling. But the, the other thing about a watchman is we're praying into the events that are taking place. It's to provide the news so you can pray point by point in my daily brief. And then finally that you may be found worthy. The, the idea was to actually send out a daily devotion to really encourage the body to understand what's happening. We live in a day and age where deception surrounds us. I mean, the very first words out of Yeshua's mouth was, take heed that no man deceive you. So don't get upset at CNN. They're proving the words of Yeshua true. That's all. That's all. But, you know, if you'd like to sign up, we actually have journalists now in Jerusalem, Budapest, Rome, and throughout the United States. We actually fully do all of our news now. We, we don't link to anyone anymore. I just can't trust anything anymore. And the great thing about, uh, we've been doing this now for 25 years. The great thing now is I have sources all over the world. So if, if something happens in Minneapolis, I actually can call pastors in Minneapolis and get boots on the ground and, and tell me what's happening. Because, you know, I can't really trust a journalist these days. I'm just saying. Except for Worthy News. Now, um, the first thing, I, as I go into this message, I really want you to understand that we're in the middle of a test. I mean, most people don't realize that we're being tested. And we're actually being tested every day. If Yeshua was tested for 40 days and 40 nights... Why are you surprised? And it says the Lord tests the righteous. But in this passage here, it says, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves Hamas. So, you know, some colleges need to actually understand you shouldn't love a terrorist organization. I don't know why that's a hard thing to understand. But the same word Hamas is the same word that God uses in, the word, in Genesis 6 when God said, I will destroy the world because it is filled with Hamas. So we have to understand that we're in the middle of a test. And the first thing that people ask me all the time is, what do I think about the situation in Gaza? I say, first off, you have to eliminate Hamas. And this is really the key reason why spiritually. Right now, inside the Gaza Strip, there are only three churches. Now, I purposely posted this up because Google and, and the search engines call Wikipedia a source of truth. How many realize you can't read everything when you read on the Internet? Except for worthy news. But, but in this particular, this is a Wikipedia article. It literally says uh, the, the church in the, what, state of Palestine. There's no state of Palestine. <laughs> and so you have to understand that right now, there is a major war that took place in 2007. Um, we've been doing this for 25 years. But, you know, in 2007, when Hamas took over the Gaza Strip, they literally hunted down every missionary inside of Gaza. And then by October of 2000, the only Bible Society bookstore, its manager was killed. And can you imagine a place where you cannot buy a Bible? I mean, you have 2.2 million Gazans that have absolutely no opportunity to even hear the good news. So why should we pray? We should pray because, you know, the United Nations is going to eliminate Hamas. You know, the United States is... Who's going to... Israel's going to eliminate Hamas. And when Israel eliminates Hamas, what I believe is going to take place is that God is going to open up the door for all these Gazans 
to see how true peace is only comes through the Prince of Peace. That we'll have an opportunity to share the gospel. Because quite frankly, no, no politics are going to bring peace to the Middle East. It's only going to be through Yeshua. And so you have to understand there's a lot of things going on. Now, another thing that's happening is inside of Gaza, the only news that's coming out of Gaza is from Hamas, the terrorist organization. Now, shortly after the war started, there was a hospital that was, quote-unquote, hit by a rocket that misfired by Islamic Jihad. Did not hit the hospital, actually hit a hospital parking lot. Yet Hamas said, Israel just struck a hospital, 500 people were killed. It started riots in Jordan, in Lebanon, in Turkey, outside of U.S. and Israeli embassies. Can you imagine if an embassy had gotten stormed? How that could have set off World War III. And and the mainstream media comes afterwards saying, Oh, we rely too heavily upon Hamas. I don't know why it's hard to understand. You really shouldn't listen to terrorists. I mean, this is literally a clip, a, a picture from Al Jazeera. I mean, who would listen to these people as a source of truth? So right now, this is actually perpetrated and actually created a, 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 a rise of anti-Semitism we've never seen. And this rise of anti-Semitism, I believe, is prophetic because God is actually now using the rise of anti-Semitism to start driving Israel home, driving the Jewish people home. It says in Jeremiah 16, I first sent fishermen. And fishermen, you know, you cast a net or you cast a a rod, you take a lure, and you're drawing the Jewish people home. Unless you are in Alabama. Alabama, they fish with dynamite. It's a little different. but, (laughs) But, you know, here, you know, it's drawing. But then afterwards, it says he will send forth hunters. You know, it's going to be a hatred that's going to be rising up. It's going to start driving the Jewish people home. And right now we're seeing the the rise of Aliyah and people considering Aliyah for the first time in a long, long time. So we're at this place now, this Israel question. It's the same question that actually Esther had. And whether you realize it or not, you know, Esther was living at a time when Haman was trying to eradicate the Jewish people. Haman came from an ancient kingdom in a place called Persia, which is the modern state of Iran. Daniel writes about it in Daniel 10. He says the prince of Persia, a principality of Persia that was trying to eradicate the Jewish people in, in uh, Haman's day, in Esther's day, the same, same principality and power is alive and well today, trying to eradicate the Jewish people. And Mordecai says something very interesting to Esther. He says, look, if you remain completely silent this time, don't worry, deliverance, for, and, and deliverance will come from the Jews from another place. God will deliver the Jewish people with or without you. He doesn't need us. He doesn't. But what he's asking is, whether you realize that you've been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. And what Israel's doing is it's looking around to figure out who its true friends are because a true friend loves at all times. But then it's finding out who its true family is because a family is born for adversity. And right now, what Israel's finding out is that we are not just friends, we are family. Now, there's a lot of things going on right now, and, and I want to kind of jump into a prophetic portion to give you an understanding, because, look, I teach prophecy all the time, but I am not a doom and glimmer. It is not the end of the world. It's the birthing of a kingdom. And when you understand where we are prophetically, then it should activate us. Prophecy should not be given to us to freak us out. Prophecy should not be given to us to go ahead and make us terrified. Prophecy is given to us to activate us, to give us a sense of urgency, to give us an understanding of the times that we're in, and to understand what we're called to do. Now, back in the first century, Peter has this dream, and it's clean and unclean animals. He doesn't know what this means. 
But that day, Cornelius and his family come to faith. Now, it wasn't so unique that a Gentile came to faith. What was unique is that the Gentiles came to faith. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, like they were. And then about about three and a half, four years after this, you had a Jerusalem council meeting in Jerusalem. And the irony is that we're kind of going the opposite side of the cycle because at the beginning of the age, you had a bunch of Jewish leaders trying to figure out what do we do with these Gentiles that believe? At the end of the age, we got a bunch of Gentiles saying, what do we do with these Jews that believe? Should they celebrate Christmas and Easter? I mean, it's a very strange dynamic, but what happened was there was a big discussion and in this discussion meeting, Yaakov or James stands up And he actually quotes this passage in Amos. And he says, after this, I will return. I will rebuild the tent of David. It has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins. I will restore it. And the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from what? From old. So here he is. He gives this prophetic word. And when he gives this prophetic word, he preaches this out of Amos, Amos 9. But the prophecy doesn't end there because it actually goes into 14 and 15. Now, 14 and 15 actually didn't apply in the first century until 70 AD. Why? What happened? Well, at that time when James stands up and quotes this, 14 to 15, the Jewish people are already in the land. The temple was still there. The temple gets destroyed. The weight, the, the, the land becomes desolate for 1,800 years. And now in the last 100, 150 years, Jewish people have come back. And they started rebuilding the city and rebuilding the country. I'll bring back the captives of my people Israel. They shall rebuild the wastes and have them. They will plant vineyards. They will drink the wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them in their land and never again shall be uprooted out. For those that think that Israel will be gone, no, it will never be uprooted again. And in this passage, it talks about rehabiting wastes. The city I live in is a city called Arad. If you forget it, we're between Arad and a hard place. Uh, Some people got it, okay. Anyway, Arad was an ancient city. It was rebuilt in 1963. It was not a city for 2,000 years. Outside of our city, there's a vineyard. Outside, all over the Negev are greenhouses. Now, all this is to say something because 14 and 15 is applicable to our day. So the beginning was how Gentiles are connected to something. And here, how the Jews are connected to something and the central verse, the, the verse that encapsulates all of this is this passage. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, the treader of grapes of him who sows the seed. The mouth shall do it with sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. And you may ask yourself, what does that mean? Well, I call this prophetic poetry. And what I mean is that there's, there's, there's hidden mysteries here, and it's talking about something. It's actually talking about the harvest. The whole, this whole age is about God's harvest of mankind and how God is going to use Jews and Gentiles to usher in this harvest, this kingdom. And so I want you to understand that you're alive for the greatest opportunity the world has ever had. Now, way, way, way back when, in the days of Yeshua, hopefully my pointer works here. Okay, good. In the days of Yeshua, the population of the world was right around 250 million. And let's say a remnant of that, let's say 10%, so it's easy math. I mean, we all tithe, so 10% should be easy. 250 million would be 25 million. And, and right here in the year 1,000, right around 350, 400 million. Let's say 400 million, say a, a tithe of that would be 40 million. 
And let's say in the 1880s, we get our first billion. A tie that would be 100 million. This is, ends in the year 2000. It got to 6.4 billion people. We are now off the chart. We are at 8 billion people, way up here now. Now, I'm not saying only 10% are getting saved, and don't hear me that way, but I'm just telling you, in the Bible, it always talks about a remnant. But I want you to understand the remnant of our generation, our remnant of our generation will probably eclipse the remnant of every single generation before us combined. I mean, we're alive for the harvest of harvests. And the difference about the harvest season that we're in now is that God has set up the greatest harvest, this greatest harvest, with the greatest amount of evidence. Because right now it takes more faith not to believe than it does to believe. I mean, we have all the archaeological discoveries. We have the Dead Sea Scrolls. We have the rebirth of Israel. We're seeing prophecy being fulfilled before our very eyes. And now you have to actually believe that the last few prophecies aren't going to be fulfilled instead of realizing the king is almost here. And so now we're alive for this opportunity. And so we ask ourselves, what will we do? We have to understand the gospel is exploding. It's exploding around the world. In the 1950s, the Communist Party took over China. By 1953, there was not a single missionary left in China. And they said, God will be exterminated in China. And what has actually taken place was the explosion of the gospel in China. We're seeing the explosion of the gospel in Africa. We're seeing the explosion of the gospel worldwide. And so now I want to talk about something because we're birthing something. We're birthing this kingdom. I never met a woman who said, I love giving birth. I mean, I just love the birth pangs. I, I wish the birth pangs would just last for weeks. And no woman's like, please get this out of me. And the interesting thing is that one woman can't explain to another woman what it's really like to give birth. You could try to explain it in words. You will never understand it. And men, we will never understand it despite what Google says. But here's this birthing and we're birthing something. And when you understand the birthing process, why you can't understand it, we're now living in the birthing of the kingdom. And there's prophecies that are actually becoming alive to us now more today than it's ever been because it's now being revealed. Daniel says that the prophecy is sealed until the time of the end. I'll give you a, a very simple example. It says in the Bible that there'll be pestilences. Pestilence is a disease. Four years ago, if you went to the bank with a mask on, you were being arrested. A year after that, if you went to the bank without a mask on, you were being arrested. And a year after that, only the bank tellers were wearing the masks. So who's robbing who? Just saying. But in this passage, in this understanding, we have to understand we're birthing something. You know, we have this understanding that 25 years ago when I first came into the kingdom, it said it'd be like the days of Lot. And the days of Lot, in my understanding, 25 years ago was the LB movement. Well, you know, we redefined marriage in 2014. And now we got like the LBTQ, IQ plus whatever. We got all the, we had to add a plus sign. What has happened is prophecy is being fulfilled. There's actually a greater understanding. So now we're birthing something. But in this birthing process, I want to focus on something. It's what I call water breaking moment. A moment when everything comes together, it's a perfect conjunction. Everything is hot, the timing is right. 
that there's a water breaking. There's a breaking of, of the spirit. And I believe that's where we're getting ready to take place. Now, way back when, at the beginning of the age, you know, if you can imagine uh, Peter, you know, Peter, if you can imagine the apostles, the apostles uh, must have gone through this roller coaster ride of the 50 days leading up to this. Because, you know, Yeshua told them over and over again, I'm going to die, and after three days, I'm going to rise again from the dead. They had this concept. We have these scriptures, the end times. We have the Bible that tells us things. Even though Yeshua told us, I still think we're kind of like them. We're still trying to figure it out. But at the beginning, you know, he said I was going to die. And guess what happens? He says, look, the person that dips bread with me is the one that's going to betray me. None of them dip bread and they all said to each other, oh, is it me? And then the one that actually dipped the bread, he said, go. He says, oh, it must be because he's the money bag. It must be something to do with money. Not even understanding what was taking place. He dies on a cross and, and they're all terrified. According to church history, only Yochanan or John was the only one that actually witnessed. The other 11 were hiding. And so now, what do they do? They take him off. They said, we got to put him in a burial cloth. I thought he was rising again from the dead. Why would you need burial cloth? Why would you need, you know, all the, you know, all the spices and everything? He's going to rise again from the dead. We got to put him in a tomb. He's rising again from the dead. They put him in a tomb. They go to visit him the first day of the week, you know, um, and when they go, the tomb's empty. I wonder where he is. They run back. They tell Peter and John, Peter Johnson. They run to him. The tomb is empty. I wonder what happened. The thought, did that thought ever cross their mind? Maybe he rose again from the dead. When they go ahead and see him for the first time, they freak out. It's a ghost. Would you please touch me, Yeshua says. They got to touch him. He appears and disappears out of lives for 40 days. And then he goes up to the Mount Oz and says, I'm taking off. I thought we were setting up a kingdom. Where are you going? Don't worry, I'll be back. When? Oh, I don't know. What are we supposed to do? Stay here until you're due with powerful one hand. What's that mean? You have to wait and find out. Then when they get into it, there's tongues of fire. What's going on? And the spirit of God then speaks to them as 3,000 Jewish souls come to faith. It said, come to pass afterward. I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. It's the beginning of the outpouring of the spirit of God starting the, this whole harvest cycle. But just a few verses prior to that, he literally says, be glad, O children of Zion. For the Lord your God has given you the early rain for your vindication. He's poured down to you the abundant rain, the early and the latter rain. It's talking about a water-breaking moment. God gives us physical understandings of things in the natural to give us spiritual comprehensions of things that God is getting ready to do. And now we're talking about this outpouring. Now, the Simcott Torah War, I, I look, I do the news, so I get people that say, you know, Israel allowed it, you know, all these different things. Look, I want to explain something very quickly and very easily. God allowed it. And he allowed it on a specific day to tell us something. Now, this particular day, Simcott Torah is when 
The Jewish people have finished reading the Torah cycle from Genesis to Deuteronomy. And this is the day we begin reading Genesis. It's the eighth day. The number eight is connected to new beginnings, connected to resurrection, connected to something new. It happens to be also not only the eighth day, not only Simchat Torah, it happens to also be the 50-year anniversary to the day of the Yom Kippur War. That sounds like a lot of things just coming together at the right time. And 50 is connected to Jubilee, connected to all things new. So God allows us to take place at a specific time. Now, what most people don't realize is that the gospel is exploding right now. We had a situation in Nicaragua where 650,000 people started attending all these huge rallies and tens of thousands of them came to faith. The outpouring is so great right now in this communist nation that the communists now are hunting down the pastors and the revivalists. But this thing transcended. It wasn't just in a denomination. It transcends. What I believe is coming is not a revival. What I believe is coming is an awakening. An awakening transcends denominations. It goes all the way across because God is at work. And why is he will pour out his spirit? To usher in the harvest of harvests. What people don't understand is that all over the Middle East, Muslims are having dreams at unprecedented rates. We had an article just a few weeks ago, 200 Muslims in Gaza were having dreams of Yeshua and were coming to faith. We have, we have stories of situations happening. For example, in Turkey, there's a dual earthquake. And in this dual earthquake, you know, there was kids buried under rubble and they were pulling out kids 15 days out of the rubble, 15 days. And they asked them and said, how did you survive without food and water? And said, well, a man in white was coming and was giving me food and water. And every time I got nervous, he sang to me and talked to me. There was multiple stories like this. Yeshua is showing up all over the world. We're harvesting the world right now. That something is happening. And right now we're asking, is God dead? No. Now, who was alive in 1967? Just want to see hands here. 1967. Okay, I'm seeing who is older than I am. That's all. That's all. 1966 is the age of Aquarius. Free love, free sex. And all of a sudden, is God dead is the front page Time magazine. Now, in 1967, there was also these hippies that came out of this age of Aquarius. And these hippies started figuring out, this Yeshua guy, he's a pretty rad dude. He teaches about love and peace just like we do. And all of a sudden, these hippies are finding Yeshua and they come in such droves, they literally, they call the front page, front page magazine, 1972, the Jesus Revolution. And one of the coincidences that we just had a movie to document all of this. I believe there's something going on. Now, most people don't realize that this movement actually is birthed really out of that because the movement actually saw more Jewish people come to faith in those seven years than all 2,000 years before combined. And at that time, there was church leaders saying, what do we do with these Jews that believe? 
And so now you're part of this movement to celebrate Shabbat, going back to biblical Judaism, going back to the biblical understanding of the feast. You're going back to something, and what's happening now is I believe that God's getting ready to do something again. Now, if you got radically saved during that Jesus revolution, you were a, a young man or a young woman. You were given dreams and visions. You were being outpoured of the Spirit. Look, I'm not saying you're old now. You're just really a lot wiser than I am. But what's happening is I believe the prophecy is coming back that how you experience the Lord at the beginning is how you're going to experience the Lord at the end. And guess what? It's going to be a whole lot bigger and a lot better. And God is getting ready to do something. See, one of the things that happened in that, in that movement, there were no fathers. The, the, the church didn't know what to do with these hippies. They couldn't relate to them. And I believe that God is setting up a generation. He's got you. You think you just retired. No, you're just getting started. What you have to realize is that God has to free up your time. So guess what? Your kids are raised up. And now you can become the parents and the grandparents to this fatherless generation. What we have to realize is that this whole movement of LB, all of that has a common root. And a lot of that is because they don't know who their father is. And now we have an opportunity. I believe that God was already looking into the future and already looking at this generation and said, you know what? I need to set up a generation because at that time in the 60s, there were very few father figures that couldn't relate to these hippies. So God actually had to raise up a whole generation. So now, ready? Now there's a whole generation to raise up, a whole generation of generations. See, I think we're ready to walk into something new. We're getting ready to do something. Now, earlier last year, at the beginning, Jerusalem Post comes out this article. How prophetic this is is amazing because it says, Jerusalem's 2,000 pilgrims road preparing for modern revival. And the road actually connects the Pool of Siloam to the Temple Mount. And guess what we found? The biblical Pool of Siloam. When I first went to Israel, there was this, uh, I wouldn't even call it a creek, but there was this thing about two and a half feet wide, about 20 feet long. And the tour guide said in 2001, this is the Pool of Siloam. And I looked at him and I said, that's not the Pool of Siloam. He said, no, this is the Pool of Siloam. This is what they, I said, there's no way this is the Pool of Siloam. You don't understand Jewish uh, history. He said, well, explain it to me. I said, well, Alfred Eder Chimes, Times in the Life of the Messiah, talks about the Pool of Siloam is where every Jewish person went and you had to do a mikvah. You had to get submerged in water before you went to the Temple Mount. You couldn't go into the Temple Mount unless you first got mikvahed. And I know for a fact that every Jewish male was commanded to go to Jerusalem for a Passover, for Shavuot or Pentecost, and for tabernacles. And in Jerusalem, there have been tens of thousands, 100,000, 200,000 people. And you just had 100 people go in that little pool. That's dirty as I don't know what. And you going in, you going more to follow than anyone before you got into the pool. I said, that's not the pool of Siloam. So he ponders and thinks about it. I said, don't worry, you'll find it. We found it. Now, most people don't realize what we're digging out. We're now down 12 feet. This is the pool of Siloam. The road behind there where the, the steps are, that's the, the, the step road that we've discovered. But the Pool of Siloam is an acre and a quarter in size. 
and the, the springs of Gishon fill it. And the Gishon is known as the, the springing water or the, 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 the life water. It's the water and it's fresh spring water that floods and fills the pool of Siloam. This is where they went and had a mikvah. And we're digging this out. Now, I'm going to put you in the mindset of Peter. I'm going to take you back 2,000 years. And imagine yourself, you just got filled with the Spirit of God. You preach the word, and what happens? 3,000 souls come to faith. They said they were baptized. I don't think they were baptizing one at a time. And I don't think it's some little pool, because by the time you had about 15 of them, they pulled probably pretty dirty. I got a gut feeling. Can't prove this biblically. Call this witnology. Call it whatever you want to call it. But my feeling is that Peter said, let's go down the pool of Siloam. Where 3,000 souls first came into the kingdom. Now, if that's accurate, and this is the pool that we're digging out is actually the birthplace of the Jewish people coming to faith. And we're excavating this out. Could we not be preparing for the time when the Lord will reveal himself when it says, and I will pour upon the house of David, upon the habits of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. They shall look upon me whom they pierced. That they have a vision of Yeshua. And if you had a vision of Yeshua, how could you not believe? Could we not be digging out right now the baptismal site for the nation? I want you to think about that. This pool is so significant because it's connected to a lot of other things. It's connected to the, the festival of the water drawing. And the festival of the water drawing happens during Sukkot. It's a, it's a feast that you're commanded not to be upset. You have to rejoice for eight days. This is my favorite feast of the year. For eight days, my wife is not allowed to yell at me. I love that. I mean, that's so great. But on the eighth day is the, great, the culmination of all these things. And the high priest goes down and they take water, the, the place of the water drawing, and he literally quotes this passage. And the word salvation is the Hebrew word Yeshua. Behold, God is my Yeshua. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. He has become my Yeshua. And with joy you shall draw waters from the wells of Yeshua. Now that is what they're singing as they're going up the temple mount, the place of the water drawing. They're singing this. They're marching up tambourines and tens of thousands of people. And they get up to the top. And they specifically quote Psalm 118.25. The word saved now is Hoshiana in Hebrew is Hosanna. Hosanna, save now, I beseech you, Lord, I beseech you. Send out. The better thing is send out process, it's, it's grant us success. Now, I purposely showed you the context of this passage because the very next verse is the passage that Yeshua quotes. When it says, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And he says this in, in in Matthew 23, it says, Oh, Jerusalem, I wish I could gather you under my wings. But you would not. Until you say, Baruch Ababa Shem Adonai. And so now he's quoting verse 26. Now that verse 25, now look at this. When they go into Gaza, what are they quoting? They're quoting Psalm 118, 25. The same verse that was quoted when Yeshua came in in the triumphal entry. The same verse that's quoted on the eighth day of Sukkot. The same verse they're quoting. They're saying, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Right for the revelation? That means they're one verse away from the kingdom of God. I want you to think about it. They're one verse away from the kingdom of God. But when the high priest would say this and say this prayer on the top of the temple mount, 
tens of thousands of Jewish people would have been quiet and you're now commanded to pause and think. And there's a great pause and tens of thousands of people are quiet. When the, the gospel of John tells us this, on the last day of the feast, on the Feast of Tabernacles, he literally takes the Isaiah passage and applies it to himself and he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The anniversary of the war. This is what it says in 39. It says, and he said this about the spirit, whom those who believed him were to receive, for it yet had not been given. Now the spirit has come, but I believe there's a connection here. And the great, the great question that we have to ask ourselves is the same question they had back then. Who is Yeshua? I declare to you, he is the Messiah risen from the dead and in him and him alone is salvation. It is an eternal life and eternal death question. And understanding this question now, then gets you to the next question. What are you calling us to do? And I believe there's something connected to all these events. Because the only place, oh, 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 I guess you should talk about this a little bit. In this passage here, that night they would have lit up Jerusalem. The Talmud talks about a place where, where the place of the water drawing, the, the menorahs, these giant menorahs were so lit up. And there was no place, there was no place hidden. Jerusalem was literally a city lit up on a hill. And the next day they would have prayed the prayer, be thou praised, O Lord God, King of the universe, who makes light and causes darkness, who makes peace and creates all. The light of the world is the treasure of life. And that next morning they grabbed that woman called an adultery. They grabbed the woman called an adultery and said, and he says, look, who is without sin? Let him cast the first stone. And notice what he says to her. He says, he doesn't say adulterer. He says, woman, he saw past the sin. If we're going to be the fathers and the parents to this generation, we got to look past the tattoos. We got to look past the news rings. We got to look past it all. You got to recognize that Yeshua, that the Lord sees them, who they are and who he died for. And when you see him like that, then he says, he says something or he says, he doesn't, he doesn't condone the sin. He says, go and sin no more. And then he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have a, the, the light of light. And so what he's talking about is a change, a change from the kingdom of darkness to a radical change of mind to the kingdom of lights. The only place the biblical pool of Siloam is mentioned is in this passage in John 9. And the passage in John 9 is the vision or the, 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 the blind man. Could this not be a picture of Israel blinded? And when they see the Lord, their eyes will be opened. And they'll ask, who is it that, that healed you? Yeshua healed me. And the only place that this is mentioned, the biblical pool of Siloam, is mentioned to this verse here, we must work the works of him who sent me while his day because night is coming when no man can work. There's so many people so focused on what I call the, the seven years of the trib or trying to figure out who the Antichrist is and figuring out all these different things. Look, the one thing that's 100% positive in prophetic scripture is this gospel must be preached to the end of the world and then the end will come. We got we our mindset focused on the wrong things. We got to have our mindset focused on this gospel message that the Lord gave us this message. And what he's getting ready to do is he's getting ready to pour out his spirit. And I believe it's already begun. 
This passage here in Revelation 21 is very much connected. Behold, I'm making all things new. It's about the, 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 the time after time. It's talking about the eighth millennium. It's talking about something new. And look, God already says, look, I'm the Alpha and Omega. It's already completed. Everything is already finished. And right now we're in the middle of a test and we're figuring out what we're called to do. And people ask me, what are we called to do? I'm going to tell you very simply. Look what he says. To the thirsty. If you're not thirsty for the Spirit of God and you think the Spirit of God is no longer for you today and you don't think you need anointing, then guess what? You've got all you have because you're content with a glass of water. But if you say, I've drank my water, man, give me another glass. The Lord is saying, I'm, I'll just keep pouring. But we got to get past that. We got to say, not, we don't want one glass. Lord, just turn on the spigot. I mean, we got to be people that say, turn on the spigot. Let the rivers of life flow through me. And right now we got to start examining our lives and start examining us that we should no longer walk in darkness but have the light of life. We have to examine ourselves and say, what is blocking the rivers from flowing? Because it's the, the sins of unforgiveness, sins of bitterness, sins of anger, sins of resentment. The news media is set up for you to hate people. You got to pass that. You got to recognize that your calling here and right now is to be a father to this generation of the lost. That we're called to usher in. And guess what God's getting ready to say? He's saying, I'm getting ready to pour it on you. Are you ready for it? Because I'm getting ready to turn on the spigot. And if you walk in that anointing, you walk with the anointing flowing through, guess what happens? You will be a conqueror. And he will say to you, I will be his God and he will be my son. It's about family. Arise and shine for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And yes, it's dark. Behold, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness of people. But the promise is the Lord will rise over you and his glory will be, will be seen upon you. For what reason? That the nations come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. And for those that don't realize this, Hamas will no longer be heard in your lands is what it says in that passage. And guess what else it says? that your walls, your defense, as much as I love my Tavor or as much as I love my Glock, my true defense is Yeshua. And we gotta realize that he is our defense. And when you have him as your defense, you don't worry about who's coming at you. You say, Lord, it's your battle. And now when you say, Lord, it's your battle, and the Lord slays your enemy before you, of course you're opening up the gates and saying, hallelujah! Because that's what he's about. Let's get to a right place with him. Let's get to a place to say, Lord, would you just bring on the healing that I need? Lord, I, I just need an outpouring of your spirit. I, I realize now my calling is to reach this lost. And every single one of you have people that I'll never see that God has purposely placed in your path that you can share, that you can testify the love of Yeshua. Because if you're not the watchman, if you're not sounding the alarm, the blood is going to require it in your hands. But God doesn't want you to go ahead and reach souls without power. He says, come, open up the spigot. Let the, let, the, let the ruach come out. Can we examine ourselves and say, Abba, Father, pour out your ruach fresh and new that we would see your kingdom come. We would see your will be done. So Abba, Father, I ask your Lord, you would seal this word.
Father, I ask you, Lord, that you would do something miraculous in this congregation, that we would walk out with a fresh vision of what we're called to do. B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach. And my wife and I have been here for a little too long. Come on up here, honey. We've been here a little too long. We, um, we got redeployed. I'll call it like that. We still have a house in Israel, and we still go back and forth. But since we've been redeployed, we've been doing revival meetings like this and just doing meetings over, and I don't know where my tech guy is. Can you get ready to hit Keelar land? And we have done 180,000 miles. And the crazy thing is I am not booking more than two or three weeks in advance. I really have no idea where we're going February 17th. I haven't even booked the meetings yet. But the Lord has set up and orchestrated every meeting. And if you're here today, God set it up. We were just talking to someone that led a, a dance group, and they just got together talking about, we need, we, we sh- we need to do a, a dance to, to boom. And then they found out, oh, we're coming. What a surprise how God orchestrates stuff. So...